And it was like someone was waiting for me to fail and not trying to help me succeed. The toxicity of that practice put me in a position where I had to do something else because I could feel myself becoming someone I hated. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Well, welcome back to So You're a Vet. Now what? I'm your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Molly Brinkman, who you may better know as Dr. Molly says on social media, where she uses lighthearted humor to share different aspects of veterinary life and provide educational content to pet parents. Molly's career has seen a fair amount of transition, which is why the theme of today's episode is pivoting. If you are a new grad who is mulling over the question of whether you need to pivot out of your current position, this episode is for you. Listen along as Molly shares the different factors that influenced her need and choice to pivot from different areas of practice. I was uplifted and encouraged by Molly's story, and if you are asking this exact question of yourself, Hopefully, this episode will help provide some clarity for you. I am so excited to share this episode with my friend and colleague. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, Molly, and welcome to the show. Yay, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am incredibly excited to have you on the show. We've met in person for the first time here at VMX. We've had the, obviously, just the joy of having that little community that's on social media come to real life. It's so fun. (laughs) I love these guys. Yeah. It just, it warms my heart. And so again, like kind of pivoting, which is going to be the theme of today's episode. Molly, I'm really excited to hear what your story is because obviously you've had some changes through your career so far. Yes. Starting in large animal, ending up in small animal, changing that a couple times. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our listeners, they're new grads, they're maybe in their first year and they have this vision of what they want veterinary medicine to look like for them in the next three, four, five years. And somewhere along the line, for good or for bad, that vision changes and they have to make a change, but they don't know how to identify if that change is right for them or even like how to go about that change. Who do you talk to? How do you do that? So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. If you just want to kind of bring us back to the beginning, like what was your vision for what you wanted practice to look like when Mm -hmm. you graduated? Okay. Yeah. So long, long time ago, back in 2015. Not that long ago. I know. It feels like a long time ago. (laughs) I was in clinics. We don't track at Tennessee. So I was doing rotations in small and large animal, but had decided I was going to be a horse surgeon. So always thought I wanted, decided I wanted to do large animal medicine. And then in school, kind of that sort of changed into equine surgery. So I got a a pretty prestigious at the time internship, equine kind of surgical internship in Colorado and went there to Glenwood Vet Clinic. And they actually are a mixed practice. So I was the equine intern, but they had a small animal practice next to it. So I got some exposure there as well. And I had worked as an assistant in a small animal practice before vet school. So I had had 
lots of different experiences and been around large animals and horses my whole life, grew up with cattle. So when to do my internship, it was equine focused, but did some cattle, sheep, pig, llama, alpaca work as well. Yes. And I'm very like, I'm ADD. I love to have changes and do different things. So loved that equine focused internship, thought I wanted to be a horse surgeon. So I had this idea that's what I was going to do. And I feel like I put some pressure on myself that that's what I was supposed to do because I had said that was what I Mm -hmm. was going to do. And we're type A vet students. It's like, if you set your mind to it, like that's what you're going to do. And you're darn right going to make sure that it happens. Yes. And we're very performance driven. Mm -hmm. And my Enneagram is consistent with that. And so I'm an eight (gasps) with a very strong seven wing. So that's what I was going to do. And so during my internship, I worked with two young equine surgeons who were new in the field. And one of them became a close friend. And I learned a lot from her about life too, and had a lot of really honest conversations with her about what her life looks like at just starting out as an equine surgeon. And so I decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I didn't apply for residencies like I had planned on, but I did stay on at that practice and did mixed animal practice Mm -hmm. there. And so I got a a lot of ambulatory large animal experience, but also got to work in the small animal clinic there. And so got to do both. And I loved it. Now, at that time in my life, my husband and I had no kids and it was fun. Life you know, looked different. Yes. We snowboarded every weekend and got to do fun things. So we stayed there for another year and then we moved. We decided to move home to Tennessee. We were thinking about starting a family and wanted to be close to our extended family for that. So came home to Tennessee. I took a mixed practice job in rural Tennessee, middle Tennessee, and was all excited about that. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to stay in mixed practice. And it ended up being a toxic situation, that practice. It was not good for my mental health. I felt myself changing. I was becoming bitter about the clientele. Yeah. Like, tell me more about that. Like, when, when did you notice, like, something's off about this? Yeah. So I remember coming home from work one day and telling Ryan, my husband, like, I felt anger towards the people I was seeing all day today. Mm -hmm. And some of them did nothing to deserve that. And I just realized I am assuming things about clients because the bad eggs are giving such a bad sort of feeling about everyone. (laughs) So the clientele was hard there. Okay. Okay. It was a rural practice. And a lot of financial issues. And I was becoming frustrated about that. And then on top of that, in the background, the workplace was toxic. And so the management was toxic. And there was a mean girl that was one of my bosses. And she didn't like Mm -hmm. me. And she made my life miserable. I wasn't getting the mentorship I needed as a new grad. And Because you're only two years out now at this point. So this was my third year of practice. And it was like someone was waiting for me to fail and not trying to help me succeed. And so the toxicity of that practice put me in a position where I had to do something else because I could feel myself becoming someone I hated. I did not want to be that person. Yeah. And so that was the realization. This is not who I want to be as a practitioner, as a coworker. And like, what did the people around you see? Yeah. So when I came to that practice, you know, I was this like bright eyed, bushy tailed young vet, like so excited. Yeah. And that even wasn't super well received. Um, I think part of it just different sort of backgrounds and, you know, that we were in rural Tennessee. I was from more of like the city part of that area. 
So there were some like, I think, struggles there. And sometimes I'm a lot of energy, right? And I have ideas. And so there was some Mm -hmm. pushback. Some of the medicine they practiced, I wanted to do different things. And that was not well received by the techs or the other doctors. And I was also young and in my career. And I wasn't as confident in what I wanted to do and why. And so that made it hard. And so I think as time went on and it became more toxic, I was less kind to coworkers and less patient. Mm-hmm. You kind of became the energies that were around. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was a little bit of a chameleon okay. moment. Okay. Like, I, that's not what I want. No. I was not thriving. <laughs> I was barely surviving. <laughs> barely surviving. <laughs> yeah. And so I needed to find something else mm-hmm. to do. And that happened to be a small animal job. Okay. And it was in a different location where I was actually from. And the timing of that job being offered to me was interesting. I was pregnant with my first child and I did go ahead and I took that job. I left my mixed practice job. And shortly after making that change, I had my first child and something really sad happened. He passed away. And so we had this huge, like life-changing moment. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out a way to get back into large animal medicine. And that sort of life change stopped that for me because Mm -hmm. what large animal practice is or was at the time would take away, I felt like it would take away from some of my availability for a family Gotcha. and what I felt was more important, right? And then I was grieving and trying to have another baby. And so my husband and I just decided that at the time, what small animal practice looked like was a better fit for our family. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed in that. And it wasn't like this dramatic, I am not going to do large animal practice anymore. I changed because I had to go somewhere. And then I chose not to go back into large animal practice because of our life and our family plan. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so much that happened there. Like it's jarring. Yeah. And like you said, you're going through that grieving process, which is not, it's not something that like, okay, two weeks, boom, you're done. Like that continual process. And even to this day, I can imagine like Mm -hmm. it still has impacts. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like looking at like, obviously that vision has changed from Mm -hmm. when you graduated to now. So if we focus that down and kind of take the little bits that you've now learned along the way, and then we can continue your story, what would you say, like, when did you realize, like, for you, like, each of those pivoting moments needed to happen? Yeah. So as far as the environment I was in, Mm -hmm. when I realized it was changing me and I wasn't changing it, that was a big, Mm -hmm. like, realization pivot moment. And then... I think the pivot of I'm not going back to large animal practice was looking outside of just my career and what else is even more important to me Mm -hmm. and really thinking about that and prioritizing something over my career. And I Mm -hmm. had other goals beyond what kind of animals I worked on, right? So practice ownership has always been a goal and you can do that in different areas of vet med. And so I didn't have to abandon all of my goals. I just changed what things looked like. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very important thing to talk about with new grads Mm -hmm. and with even vet students, because kind of like we talked about, Mm -hmm. we have that perfectionist type of mentality where we're like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. And in five years, if I don't make it, that means I'm a failure. And like, 
that's not true. Like no. it is very natural and it's almost a good thing that your vision changes, that mm-hmm. your life changes and modifies. And we, we talk a lot about how there's like those three major zones. There's like your comfort zone, there's your growth zone, and then there's the anxiety zone. Yes. And for you, how do you find that you're able to keep yourself in that growth zone? I guess like with those other practices, did you feel that you were getting pushed out of comfort into growth and into anxiety then? Yes. Or I guess like toxicity level. Yeah, we kind of skipped growth. (laughs) (laughs) It never happened. And the comfort was short. But (laughs) yeah, and I think you have to continuously check in with yourself Mm -hmm. because you can get sucked in. It can swallow you and you're upside down before you realize it. And because it can be little things that make those change, the big changes, but they're little. I just think you have to be willing to reflect And I think it's good to have people in your life who also are not afraid to be honest Mm -hmm. about what your career is doing to you as a person. Mm -hmm. Because you have to separate those things. Yeah, and who was that in your life? And for me, that was my husband, but also my parents. They saw that I wasn't happy. And being a vet is such a like nostalgic thing, like goal for people, because so many people grow up wanting to be a vet. And, And most veterinarians have wanted to do that for a long time. And so I think sometimes there's this idea of like, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a veterinarian and that's such an honorable profession and Mm -hmm. it's going to be so great. And you have these ideas about that and then about what specifically you're going to do. And then I think you start to feel this pressure from the outside that's maybe fictitious. Like other people are expecting me to do this thing that I always said I was going to do. And for me, that was sort of the large animal. Like, oh, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to work on horses like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I can do that and I can keep up and I can do it all. I can have a family and do that. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Right. And so, but then for me personally, internally, that didn't make sense anymore. And so I kind of had to accept that, that it's okay Mm -hmm. to not do that. Even though you said you're going to. (laughs) Are you a new or recent veterinary graduate? If so, listen up my course, so your vet now what? has been put together specifically for you. We focus on the non-clinical skills, don't tune out. This is not as dull as it sounds, I promise you. In fact, almost every career problem that people face are due to not having well-developed non-clinical skills. The skills that I'm talking about are things like client communication, so you have great relationships with clients. Emotional intelligence, so you've got great relationships with your teammates. Effective negotiation skills, so you can get paid what you are worth. Management of imposter syndrome and how to build formidable resilience. They're not just skills, they are prerequisites vital for success in financial and emotional well-being. This course serves as an essential stepping stone to your success. So let's take the leap together. I will be your mentor as we go through 12 modules helping you transition from being a student to being a fully rounded professional. Head to www.drdavenickel.com forward slash S-Y-A-V dash class to learn more. Now back to the show. <laughs> that is something that, again, it's super valuable. And I feel like as many times as we can hammer on that, it still doesn't always have its take home value until yeah. someone really steps into that experience. Yes. But hopefully by us talking about it, they can mm-hmm. say, you know what? I've heard like 
Dr. Molly went through it um, yeah. herself, like this person, that person, they've all gone through it. And yes. A, they've survived. Yes. And B, it did have a positive outcome eventually. Yes. So let's turn back to your story a little bit more and yeah. kind of go. So you were at that practice. Mm-hmm. You decided to stay in Smalley's. And so mm-hmm. like, what happened from there? Yeah. So I stayed in a like high volume walk-in only small animal practice for a couple years went through kind of the brunt of the sad thing that happened in my life there. So it was a very sort of emotional place for me Mm because they went through it with me. I was there when it happened. And then they went through the birth of my second child there that Mm -hmm. he's alive and well. And so it was very happy kind of change there. And that sort of brought about another pivot because that practice is kind of a niche practice because it's a walk-in and the hours are weird and the shifts are weird and They've been doing things the same way for a long time, and that didn't really work for me as a working mom anymore. And at the time, they weren't able to change Mm -hmm. that. And so it was, again, for my life as a working mom, it didn't make sense to stay. And so I was sort of, I had to change. And so I changed jobs, and I went to a different practice that was similar, and there was a lot of clients, a lot of patients, but another kind of higher level of the quality of medicine, which was good mm-hmm. for me because I got, I had learned a lot in those two years, probably like five years of experience crammed into two years in a walk-in <laughs> practice. Oh gosh, I can't even imagine. And that was a happy pivot. Like yeah. no one was upset. They understood. Yeah. I understood why they couldn't, you know, bend. And so it was all good. So went on to a different type of sonal practice, learned a ton there, became a much better doctor there. And was that just because of the environment? Would you have mentorship? Like talk me through that. Yeah. So I had mentorship in the first small animal clinic and then again in the next practice, but the other, the associates that were at that next practice practiced just a higher level of medicine than what I was doing. And it was kind of a younger crowd of vets and they were really good doctors, really smart, other women and just It was a great team, great support staff, some really smart Mm -hmm. techs with a lot of experience. And for the first time in small animal practice, I was kind of like, oh, I hope I'm doing this the right way. Okay. So you talked about your comfort level and then your growth level. That was definitely, and then you can go into anxiety. So that was definitely a growth moment. Okay. I got out of my comfort level. I felt a little imposter, but the best way an imposter syndrome can happen because basically tells you like, okay, I have the opportunity for growth. This is good. Yeah. And I can like, I can recognize that some things are on a higher level than what I've been doing. And there must be, this is better than what I was doing, Uh which I think is important for new grads to be willing. Your first job, your first two jobs, you know, you're going to learn different things from them. And some of it's going to be good and some of it isn't. And it's important to recognize, okay, that mentor taught me that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that wasn't the best way to do it. And I'm willing to pivot how I practice in that way. So that was really good for me because I got to learn a lot of things. And I learned some things that I think that I don't do in practice now. I don't want to do that mm-hmm. that way. But I got exposed to a lot. And it was great. And it moved from the growth into anxiety, right? So okay. a couple, two and a half years in, because of a few factors, it moved into the anxiety realm. And... And so it I decided stayed at that point it stayed there the decision. Yeah. And remember one of my goals is ownership. And mm-hmm. so once that became part of the conversation being there, that kind of puts you mm-hmm. in this moment yeah. where it's sort of like, you know what, or get off the pot. Like that's either going to happen 
or you're going to have to leave because those cards are out there and your boss knows that's what you want. They want you to have to do with that. And then if figuring that plan out doesn't work well, then if ownership is your goal, you're kind of like, do I keep investing into a place that Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to buy into? Or do you go and find Or do I go find something else? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was the decision I made there. Mm -hmm. So there was, we were in some anxiety just as an environment for me. And that had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so I made a decision to move on for the best of my career goals. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard change because I really loved almost everyone that I worked with. Yeah. It was a work family. It was a grief of leaving them. Talk us through a little bit. Like what were some of your fears about leaving? Was it about how you're going to leave them? Was Mm -hmm. it about where you're going to go? Like what, what was it? Right. So I'm, I can make decisions swiftly, but Even when I do that, I still panic a little like, okay, but was that the right decision, you know? (laughs) And so I think it's kind of like, I think what I'm going to do is better. I believe that. That's why I made this decision. Mm -hmm. But man, I really love all those people. And so what if I go somewhere and I don't love all the people? What if the grass isn't greener? Yes. And spoiler alert, I didn't love all the people I went to work with next. But that's okay (laughs) because that's life. Yeah. And you just don't know. And the grass isn't always greener. But I think it's okay to try different pastures until you find the right one. And I knew that it wasn't the right place to stay. But it was a lot of really great people. And I still have great relationship with a Good. lot of them and keep in touch and and actually work with some of them, have worked with some of them since. So it was probably my hardest transition Aww. so far. But that's okay because now I am where I am now and, and it's all love good. love it and they let you do social media yes. and film different yes. dog rides in the yes. I love it. Oh yes. Gosh. So and, and where I am now is I'm on track for my ownership goal okay. and I'm in a leadership position now. I'm in a medical director position. Nice. And yeah, and I'm in a place where I'm getting to be a part of some big change for the better. And that's mm-hmm. really exciting for me. And you're a shaker and a mover. So uh, you know. yes, uh, yes, I shake and move things for sure. <laughs> wherever I go, I'm trying to change stuff. But what's so great about it is that had all of those bumps and changes mm-hmm. and disappointments not happened and the timing of me being where I am now wouldn't have happened. And so that's what you have to just trust is that Mm -hmm. it will all work out. Yeah. That is such a neat story. And I know there are so many other veterinarians that are, have been as many years graduated or even less. And they're like, I resonate with that. Sure. That sounds just like me Mm -hmm. type of thing. And that's what I kind of want them to hear is that it's going to be okay. Like you can get through this. Yeah. And like you said, this is all a part of your story. And ultimately it's where you kind of ended up. And one little question that I still had for you is, as you've made all these little changes, did you move home or did you stay local? And if so, what was the situation with non-competes? Oh, oh, good question. So when I worked in the rural practice, that was far from like an hour from where I had grown up and where we wanted to eventually move back. Okay. And so we actually did buy a house there, but then that's where we lived when my baby died. Mm -hmm. And so we definitely wanted to get out of there. Yes. Yes. So we moved to Franklin, where I live now, which is where I grew up. So the cool thing about that was we lived in Franklin, but I practiced in Nashville. So those okay. then those next couple jobs were far enough away. But that they were it, outside the non-compete zone. They were out of my non-compete. And 
thankfully, you know, Nashville isn't a super compact city, so things mm-hmm. can be pretty spread out. Okay. So I never had between, even with all those job changes, I never was like in danger of, you know, infringing on a non-compete yeah. radius, which non-competes are dumb, but that's a conversation that's a for a different day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, do I dare open this can of worms? And I'm like lifting the lid off slowly and I'm like, okay, that's it. Put it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely like double checked my non-compete distances yeah. whenever I change, but it, it thankfully hasn't been an issue. I've gone far enough away. Mm-hmm. But now I practice three minutes from my house. So nice mm, for so, so nice. many reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's great. I can run home and, you know, Care check on Cooper or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. My gosh. So I went Franklin to Nashville and now back to Franklin. Okay. And yeah, so it's good. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know we could keep on chatting about this forever. Yes. But I want to say thank you so much for coming of and course. sharing your story. and. Like the last question I would have for you would be like, if we're sitting in front of like a group of veterinary students or new grads, um, I guess we'll look at, we'll look at new grads. They've just recently graduated in the last year or two and they're like coming up to you and they're saying, Molly, I like, that's me right now. I think I need to make a change, but I don't know how to have that conversation. And I guess I think majority of the times that we're having to make a change and we're worried about it, it's because it's not the greatest situation. Right. So in your experience, like how would you have that conversation? How would you coach them to have that conversation with their leadership? Yeah. So a couple things, if you're in a super toxic situation, that conversation is never going to go well. You can't make it pretty. If that's the situation and it's yucky, then you have to protect yourself first. You need to be prepared. So you need to have a plan. You know, you don't want to mic drop and walk out without a plan because that's not a good idea. But you need to have your ducks in a row before you have the conversation and you always need to be prepared. If you're going to go to an employer and say, I am unhappy, there's always a risk that they're going to tell you, okay, leave and don't come back, which sounds scary, but it's just a reminder that you have to be ready for that. But I do think if your situation is not actually a very toxic situation, I think it's always wise, if that's how you're feeling, to have some communication with your boss. It doesn't have to be, hey, I'm thinking about leaving your practice, but I do think you owe it to yourself. You don't owe them necessarily anything, but I think because we work in a profession where it's small and Mm -hmm. everybody, you don't want to burn a bridge, right? Everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone. And I haven't always done this perfectly, but I have learned that you want it to be as amicable as possible. And, you know, (laughs) everyone has a right to leave a job and not all employers understand that, but it becomes a non-issue eventually because we're all replaceable and they can find someone else to be a vet at their practice. Right. And hopefully they learn something from your situation. So if you leave because it wasn't good, Mm -hmm. they do need to know that. And you can express that in ways that are respectful and, amicable. I do think most of the time it's fair to warn them, right? So I think it's fair not to say, Hey, I'm unhappy, but maybe to say, I'm struggling with this. How do we work together? How do we work work together? Because ultimately they probably do want to keep you in most situations, but at the same time, they can't always, right. Can't always make amends there. Right. So like, Hey, this is hard for me. Do you have feedback for me that maybe you think, do you see this? Do you recognize that this is a struggle for me? Yeah. And do you think I am contributing to that? How can this change? And just like employers, you know, have to usually give their employees some warning, like, hey, I'm unhappy with what's happening. 
I think that that's a good way to approach it as an employee if you're in a safe space. Yeah. There's definitely like different angles. Of yes. This. It's like when things are really, really, really bad and you just need to get out. You and may just put have your to notice leave. And leave yeah. <laughs> type mm-hmm. of thing. And mm-hmm. then there's also the middle of the road mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm really having challenges. Can we sit down and talk? And I would hope that most practice managers and, and medical directors are willing to sit down and have the conversation about yes. Can we meet in the middle here? And if not, then what is the ultimatum? Yes. One of us have to leave, essentially. And then there's also the really amicable ones where you're like, you know what? We want to see you grow and develop. And maybe those are the ones that you like are the hardest to leave because you love your team. You feel bad for leaving them Mm -hmm. in the dust. But at the same time... This should be the kind of environment that you want to be in environments where they want to see you grow. Yeah. And if that means leaving, then that's okay, which... I mean, for my own personal story, basically, when I first started at my current practice, my boss basically told me, he's like, even if in two or three years, which I told him my goal is to stay here for at least three years, mm-hmm. now four years out, still there mm-hmm. for good reasons. And basically, like, he's like, even if you're only here for three years, I want to know that I've trained you up enough that you are a smart, confident veterinarian that wherever you go, you're going to shine. That's a and very good like, boss. <laughs> I was like, I love you. Can I yes. give you a hug? <laughs> Like, okay, and now I'll never leave you. Yes, now I'll never leave. Um, Maybe that was his goal. Anyway, but like, that's what I would hope that people, like the kind of situation that people are in. And I love that right now you're in a clinic that you absolutely love. It took some time and some trial to figure it out. And again, part of that story, as you said, was the hard and messy changes that happened through your life that ultimately got you to where you are. So it's not that... Like people I know, they'll get down on themselves to yeah. be like, oh, these thing, bad things keep happening. Why does this keep happening? Blah, blah, blah. Which oh, I feel like it, blah, blah, blah is the wrong thing to say. I'm sorry. No, but, it's but every, every, that resonates yeah. with everyone. Yeah. yeah. It's just that it has value. It has purpose in your story and don't negate it. Like yeah. in a way, lean into it yeah. because there's so much that you're going to learn. You can become a better veterinarian mm-hmm. on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And it can be so easy to just look at the short term to mm-hmm. be like, oh, it's been two years and I'm still here. But three or four years down the road, you're going to be able to stop and turn around and be like, look how far I've come. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I love your story. Aww, thank you so thank much for you sharing. Thank you for having thanks, me. Yeah, glad thanks for share. coming along. And I'm so glad we got to meet yes. in person here in Vienna. I know, me yes. too. Thanks so, so much. You're welcome. And in the last couple seconds here, where can people find you on the social media? You can find me at Dr. Molly Says on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, come Just all the places. Yes, come join all in the, the fun. It's 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 a wild ride, but it's fun. <laughs> cool. Well, I'll put your info in the show notes. But okay. until next time, y'all. See ya. Bye. So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care.